You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want to make a statement that I... I don't believe is controversial at all, but I want to make it nonetheless because I think it sets the stage for our study and it reminds us of something important. And it's this, Satan hates the church of Jesus Christ. Satan hates the church of Jesus Christ and he wants to stop the spread of the gospel by any means necessary. This is why the entire history of the church is marked by varying levels of persecution. Now, that may sound strange to us because most or all of us have never faced persecution. But as we begin this morning, I want you to hear about a church that is experiencing tremendous persecution right now. The church's early reign covenant church in Chengdu, China. As the members of Early Rain met on December 9th, their worship service was interrupted by the Chinese authorities, and over the next 24 hours, a hundred church members were arrested. Some of them are still in prison, including the pastor Wang Yi and his wife. One Christian news Outlet reported the members of the congregation were charged with, quote, inciting subversion of state power, unquote. According to China Aid, this is a charge often handed to Chinese Christians because the Communist Party views religion as a threat to their ideological control. If convicted, Wang and his parishioners could face up to 15 years in prison. Some of the church leaders and members have since been released but remained under house arrest. The Chinese government began a renewed and vigorous persecution of Christians in early 2018 by destroying crosses, burning Bibles, confiscating religious materials, and closing churches. Chinese law requires Protestant Christians to worship only in congregations registered with the Three Self-Patriotic Movement, a state-sanctioned body for the organization of all Protestant churches in China. But many millions belong to underground house churches that defy government restrictions. The term house church refers to any unauthorized church, regardless of size or meeting location. So some house churches in China have hundreds, even thousands of members. Friends, since the Sunday that the authorities invaded their time of worship, members of early reign have continued to meet together every week. Their story has been shared all over the world. 
In fact, Pastor Yi wrote a document called My Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. It's circulating all over the internet. And it's a remarkable, courageous, profoundly biblical document. Look it up and read it this afternoon. I want to encourage you to pray for our brothers and sisters in China. And I want you to see their present experience in the text we study this morning. So there's a, there's a way for us to read the Bible and totally disconnect it from anything that's happening in the world right now. I don't want you to do that. I want you to see the experience of our brothers and sisters right now in the text that we study this morning. You see, the overwhelming story throughout history and in most parts of the world right now is this. The gospel flourishes not in the absence of opposition, but in the face of it. So in your copy of God's Word, let's start by actually flipping back to Acts chapter 4 and reminding ourselves what happened there. Peter and John are arrested after a lame beggar is healed. Look at verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. The religious leaders desperately wanted popularity and influence. They wanted to be liked. So even though they're furious with the actions of the apostles, all they do is reprimand them for fear of losing their perceived standing with the people. The religious leaders have flexed their muscles. They've tried to intimidate Peter and John. But did this stop them? No. Chapter 4 records the apostles of the Lord Jesus facing opposition from outside the church. Then chapter 5 begins with them facing opposition from inside the church. That's what we studied last week. So what we might expect to find after the account of Ananias and Sapphira is a church discouraged and defeated, ready to throw in the towel, to retreat into hiding. But that's not what we find at all. When we arrive at chapter 5, verse 12, it feels like we are reading chapter 4 all over again. Remember where we ended last week, Acts 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
Instead of healing a lame man here, many signs and wonders are being done. More people than ever are turning in repentance and faith to Jesus and being baptized in his name. In fact, the Spirit is working in in such power that the sick are being carried into the streets and brought from neighboring towns. And the text says they were all healed. Boy, it sounds like the persecution and opposition has really slowed things down, doesn't it? Well, not at all. Not at all. The difficulty has actually given way to greater gospel flourishing. Friends, how do you think the religious leaders are feeling about all of this? Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. They tried to stop the progress of the gospel by threatening Peter and John in chapter 4. That clearly didn't work, so now they have to try again. But I want you to notice what the text says about the motivation behind the actions of the religious leaders. It was their passionate desire for justice, right? No. No, they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Why would that be? They had all the power. Why would they be filled with jealousy? Well, it's because the apostles had what they so desperately wanted, the admiration and applause of the people. The apostles had power and influence in a very real way. They were gaining popularity and receiving praise. And this is what the religious leaders wanted more than anything. I want to take a minute and connect what we find in our text to what we all see happening in our country right now. In the text, there are people living under the authority of godless rulers, but these rulers, like all rulers everywhere and for all time, have undoubtedly told the people that they are doing what is best for them. They are doing what is truly right and noble, right? I don't ever remember seeing a political ad where somebody said, I'm going to try to do what's best. I may be dishonest. I may do something completely different down the road once I get elected. You don't see political ads like that. So I'm sure this is the same way. They have declared to the people, follow us and you will live. We can make you prosper and we can make you happy. But then along comes a group of unlearned men commissioned by Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. They begin to declare to anyone who will listen the good news of a perfect king and his everlasting kingdom. And this kingdom is available to all people if they will only turn from their sin and trust in King Jesus. Those who believe this message begin to gather in these communities that are marked by love, 
and generosity. The people genuinely care about each other. They even seem to care about people outside the community as well, especially those who are poor and sick and marginalized. Now here's the connection. If you're a religious or political leader who rejects King Jesus and the good news of his kingdom, but you desperately want to be lauded and loved by the people under your rule, then what are you forced to do? Well, you have to come up with a different gospel. You have to come up with a different gospel. Another story of good news. Where you're the Savior... And you will provide the people with what will make them truly happy. Friends, we see this with politicians on both sides of the aisle every single day. But consider the most heinous act we witnessed in just the last week. On Tuesday, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill legalizing abortion for almost any reason up to the point of birth. Many of you probably saw a chilling video of the room where Cuomo signed the bill full of people who erupted in cheering when the bill was signed. What was going on there? Well, he presented his alternate gospel. And he received what he longed for, the praise of the people. But as it is with every false gospel, the cheering will one day fade as the promise of joy and flourishing gives way to darkness and death. That's what was happening in the first century. That's what's happening now. We'll see this later in our text more explicitly, but we all face this temptation in one way or another. We will either obey God or man. And as we all know, obedience is the result of worship. Worship and allegiance give way to obedience. You will either live enslaved to the spirit of the age and will seek the fleeting praise of men, or you will worship. You will worship God. Walk in humble obedience to Him and experience life abundantly and eternally. So the unbelieving leaders see that the apostles have what they want, and so they must act. How can they suppress this growing movement, this message that says, submit to King Jesus, a king who loved you and gave himself for you? This message is totally opposed to the message of the religious leaders. The gospel always is. So here's what they, the authorities try first. They try prison. Maybe they can stop what God is doing if they throw his people in prison. Look at verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. They don't know exactly what they're going to do, but while they figure it out, they throw the apostles in prison. And they make sure they do this very publicly. They're trying to show they have power. But by doing this so publicly, they are actually being toyed with by God. 
They are just providing a bigger stage for him to display his glory and showcase their futility. Nice try. The authorities believe that containing the apostles in prison will, at the very least, buy them some time. But they were wrong. Verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Friends, do you see the utter folly of thinking of the thinking of those who believe that the earthly power they possess can somehow stop or contain what God is doing. You can almost hear God say, oh, oh, you have a prison? That's cute. I have all the hosts of heaven. But brothers and sisters, how easy... How easy is it for us to forget the sovereign power of God? We need to reorient the way we think about earthly authority and gospel opposition in light of God's word. In fact, consider again just this one situation in light of the whole counsel of God's word. Daniel chapter 4, verse 25. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Romans 13.1, the authorities that exist have been established by God. So the earthly rulers that threw the apostles in prison... God not only put them in their positions of earthly authority, but he holds their hearts in his hand. He can take their authority and give it to someone else. And he is, in the very moment they throw his servants in prison, he is ruling over them. We need to understand what is happening in our text in light of God's revealed word. And beyond the story we've encountered this morning, friends, the way you and I must view the world and everything in it is through the lens of God's inerrant and infallible word. There's so many conversations I'm in where I just want to ask, how is your thinking? How is your thinking? How is your worldview? How is it being distinctly shaped by Scripture? So much of our confusion and despair as Christians is the result of our failure to think biblically. You see, the Scriptures shouldn't be disconnected from anything in our lives or anything that happens in the world. God's sufficient Word speaks in some way to everything. When we read this text and we see the earthly authorities trying to slow down the advance of the gospel by throwing the apostles in prison, we should laugh. 
Not because the apostles aren't real men and didn't feel real pain and, and because this isn't a real prison, but we laugh at the absurdity of thinking that a prison can hinder the work of God. The God who created the universe. Verse 19 again. And an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When gospel opposition comes, sometimes God will intervene with an act of divine power. But we need to be careful. This text is not a guarantee that God will deliver his people from every instance of persecution. But it does remind us that sometimes he works this way. I don't want you to miss, miss this. Does God free the apostles releasing them from prison so they can return to a place of safety and security? No. No, God delivers them from prison to engage them in mission. God delivers them from prison to engage them in mission. The first word out of the angel's mouth is go. Go. Oh, Christian friend, wherever God has you right now, he has you on mission. Whatever you're facing, his instructions to you haven't changed. Go. If he has you in a new job, it's primarily because God wants your witness there. If you're in a new neighborhood, you're there because someone living in that neighborhood needs to hear about Jesus. If he has you in the hospital, it's not primarily because you need treatment, but because someone in the hospital needs Jesus. The mission the angel announced was not something new. Go and speak the words of life. This is the fundamental task of every Christian. Go and speak the words of life. Back in chapter 4, before Peter and John were put on trial, as Peter was preaching, he referred to Jesus as the author of life. The commission of the angel here is straightforward. As I free you from this physical prison, go and take the message of life to those who need to be freed from the prison of sin and death. Go and speak the words of life. 
Look with me at verse 21. The story continues. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Uh, let, me, let me just mention a couple of things at, at this point. First, related to what we talked about earlier, notice how often the text alludes to the concern the religious leaders had for how the people would feel about them. You see it in verses 24 and 26. It's almost like God's word wants us to conclude that even though the apostles were thrown into a physical jail, the religious leaders were really the ones in prison. They were imprisoned by their insatiable desire to be loved and lauded by the people. Brothers and sisters, the prison of people-pleasing is a dungeon of discouragement and death. Second, it would, be, it would be easy to miss an important detail because it's presented so matter-of-factly. After the authorities find the prison empty, where do they ultimately find the apostles? They're in the temple teaching the people, which means what? means they obeyed God. They obeyed God. God delivered these men from prison only to command them to go to the most public place imaginable to preach Jesus, which is what they were thrown in prison for. This is kind of a crazy command. But they obeyed. God commanded they obeyed. What a simple but profound example for us. When God speaks, his people obey. This is where true freedom is found. Not by throwing off the shackles of biblical authority, but by submitting to every word of God the, the group of people in the text that has all the power to make whatever decisions they want to are the ones who are really imprisoned. And those who are on mission for God and obey his every word, living under his authority, those are the people who are truly free. There's a song we sing sometimes called, Speak, O Lord. Listen to one particular line of that song. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. 
you realize those are all connected? Humility, reverence, and obedience. The apostles model this for us. They revered God. They revered God, humbled themselves before him, and followed him in full obedience no matter what. In fact, they make this abundantly clear. Look at verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. What a wonderful phrase. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Notice the emphasis on obedience to God. I I love how the text records what the apostles say as they're confronted with the details of what they've done wrong. The high priest is explaining exactly what they did, how they ignored his authority and the authority of the religious leaders. And Peter and the apostles just say, we'll make this really easy for you. We must obey God rather than you. It's really not any more complicated than that. If you say one thing and God says another, we're always going with God. Again, there's a sense in which this is the Christian life summarized. Jesus is my king. I do what he commands. I live under his lordship. John Stott says that with their response, the apostles laid down the principle of civil and ecclesiastical disobedience. He writes, To be sure, Christians are called to be conscientious citizens and generally speaking, to submit to human authorities. But if the authority concerned misuses its God-given power to command what he forbids or forbid what he commands, then the Christian's duty is to disobey the human authority in order to obey God's. Brothers and sisters, are you ready to do that? It's not crazy to think that you'll all be faced with that choice in the not-too-distant future. We should gain strength from the apostles and their example here because this is precisely what they did. The authorities said, you cannot preach Christ. They said, we have to. The authorities said, then we'll throw you in prison. The apostles said, go for it. We have to preach Christ. We won't stop preaching. Verse 29 again. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Do you see what's happening here? Even as the apostles are being told again they cannot preach Jesus, they are preaching Jesus. Let me answer your question by telling you about Jesus one more time. So clearly, the plan to throw them in prison, to shut them up, that's backfired. So what will they do now? Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Prison didn't work. Let's kill them. Look at verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, the one who taught Saul of Tarsus, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. In their frustration and rage, the religious leaders want to kill the apostles, but Gamaliel reminds them by means of two examples that if the apostles are frauds, their following will disperse and their movement will fizzle out. But if they're the real deal, if this really is a movement of God, then nothing they can do can stop it anyway. So they tried to stop the spread of the gospel by throwing the apostles in prison. That somehow turned into a public demonstration of God's power and another sermon in the temple. Okay, maybe they can stop all of this by just killing them. Well, if God is really behind them, then killing them may only spread the message more quickly. That's what happened when we killed Jesus. So what's left? What options do they have? Look at verse 39. So they took his advice. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them. 
they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Prison didn't work. Kill them, that won't work. Well, let's just beat them. Let's beat them. Surely this will do it. This will shut them up. Look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Friends, the gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. Every effort to stop the spread of the gospel will ultimately fail. And it's not because these apostles were superhuman Christians, no, they point us to the source of their strength and their boldness. And it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit which you possess if you're in Christ. This is a testimony to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who indwells the people of God and gives them strength to carry out the mission of God no matter the opposition. This is totally applicable to us. So go back to chapter 4 really quickly. As Peter and John stood trial, they responded with boldness. The authorities threatened them if they continued to preach Jesus, verse 21. Then what happens? What happens when they are released and they return to their believing friends? Verse 24. They prayed. Prayer meeting breaks out. Now flip back to chapter 5 and look again at verse 41. They respond to the beating with what? Praise. God's people respond to persecution with prayer and praise. Friends, this is why the gospel can't be stopped. Because persecution doesn't defeat the people of God. It drives them to their knees in greater dependence upon God. And it reminds them of their suffering Savior who was obedient unto death. Persecution drives believers to greater dependence on God and deeper love for Jesus. Let me try to summarize this in two statements. Persecution doesn't defeat faith. It deepens faith. Persecution doesn't stop the gospel. It spreads the gospel. We 
When we began this morning, I shared the story of Early Rain Covenant Church and Pastor Wang Yi. This week I was reading a document he penned outlining 14 commitments in the face of persecution. And he instructed his other elders, if I'm put in prison, I want you to give this to everybody in the church. Here's one of the 14 commitments. He writes, whether in the police station, detention center, prison, or any other detention facility, I will share the gospel once I am in contact with any person. Secular government and laws have no right to deprive anyone of the opportunity to listen to the gospel nor do they have the right to deprive a pastor the freedom to preach the gospel to others. Only the gospel of Christ can truly reform a sinner. I will do my utmost in my detention to practice the gospel commission. So what about us, Redeemer? In our freedom, will we do the same? I will do my utmost in my freedom to practice the gospel commission. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you by the Holy Spirit that in power he would awaken us. All of us. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts, but that you would keep us from becoming beat down and discouraged. When we consider our our witness, undoubtedly many of us become deeply convicted about our lack of boldness, our lack of courage, our lack of passion in sharing Jesus. When conviction comes, we know the devil attacks us with discouragement, which drives us further away from the mission. So Holy Spirit, keep us from discouragement. Turn our conviction into action. Awaken this church. Set us on mission. We believe that there are thousands and thousands of people all across the Twin Cities that have not yet turned in repentance and faith. Oh, sovereign God, you have ordained that someone in this church through their timid and imperfect witness 
will be the instrument to bring that person to faith in Jesus. So Holy Spirit, give us boldness. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us the words of life and put them on the tips of our tongue. Do this for the glory of God, for the unstoppable spread of the gospel, for the joy of all people. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.